You are listening to Moisture Festival Podcast. Welcome to the Moisture Festival Podcast. I am Matthew Baker, and I perform a comedy stunt show at the Moisture Festival. And I'm Louie Fox, and I perform a comedy magic show and hand shadow puppets at the Moisture Festival. If you're new to this program and don't know exactly what the Moisture Festival is, the Moisture Festival is a four-week festival celebrating the variety arts, and it happens in the city of Seattle. They've got the new venue, which is the Broadway Performance Hall. Now, this is the largest festival of its kind in the world and features some of the best entertainers and comedians working today. The festival happens in the months of March and April, and not only do they have world-class variety acts, the Moisture Festival also hosts a week of burlesque shows. Yeah. Now, if you're listening to this during the festival or around festival time, be sure to get tickets now because 95% of the shows sell out. You can get tickets to all of the shows by visiting the website moisturefestival.org. On this episode of the Moisture Festival podcast, we welcome in five-time World Hacky Sack champion Peter Irish. We learn how you go from a footbagger to a juggler and how San Francisco is the gateway to that. (laughs) Yeah, we learn how he has dedicated himself to practice, all the different art mediums that he's involved in. And we're doing this before he even comes to the Moisture Festival for the first time. So we get his his thoughts on what he expects and how he envisions it going. So it's a great interview and you're going to love it. Let's get to it. Today's guest is a five-time World Hacky Sack champion, a member of the Hacky Sack Hall of Fame, and received the award of Innovation in Juggling from the International Jugglers Association. Aside from being one of the most famous hacky sack players in the world, he's also a visual artist and acupuncturist. We welcome Peter Irish. Yay! Hey, guys. How do you describe what you do? Well, you know, I'm a variety artist like you guys, primarily a juggler. I started with the hacky sack, and what I do, I've combined the juggling with the feet with juggling with the hands. So it's kind of my niche niche that I do that most people don't do. I was the first person to really do that and I've created a fair amount of tricks of my own. Gotten a lot of notoriety in the world of juggling for that. And just kind of, that's, that's my basis. The hacky sack is my basis. I started with that and uh, combined it with juggling and then uh, also write jokes, do other stunts and tricks. You know, I do a, a variety comedy show. Now, you for foot juggling, because we've seen a different style of foot juggling at the Moisture Festival before, where the person lays okay. on their back and manipulates stuff with the bottoms of their feet. Yep. That's not what you do, right? No, that's uh, I believe that's antipodism. I do, I'm standing on my feet. So I'm, I'm not laying on the ground. I'm catching balls on the top of my feet rather than the bottom of my feet. Pretty much juggling like you would with your hands, but I'm doing it with my feet. Ah, you can do like patterns with it, like, like hand juggling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a limited amount of patterns you can do with your feet with three balls. You know, I'm not doing <laughs> necessarily, you know, thousands of patterns with 
with my feet with three balls, but the really interesting stuff comes by combining the hands with the feet and using the feet like I would with like an extra set of hands. So it's almost like I've got four hands. It's like you're standing on someone's shoulders and you're both using your hands. Yeah, yeah, similar to that. So it's kind of more like a full body type thing. That's where the more technical stuff comes, combining the hands and the feet rather than strictly with the feet. You was like the first person that really sort of combined hacky sack tricks and juggling, but there, since you've created this, sort of spawned a whole sort of genre of sort of using your feet in a sort of hacky sack way. Like, are you sort of giving credit for spawning this genre or is it sort of something you see out there and you're like, what the F man, how come they're doing my stuff? Yeah. You know, I don't know. Um, I don't know if I'm giving credit for it or not. You know, some people know that I sort of created this kind of stuff. Some people don't, maybe it's kind of taken on a life of its own. Um, you know, I started doing this stuff almost 20 years ago and even before the internet. So back then I was the only one doing it as far as I know. And I know that all my original tricks are mine. Uh, I didn't watch anyone else. I didn't come up with anything that, that I didn't invent. And then people started doing this stuff. Some of them blatantly, you know, took it from me. Some of them didn't. I have a feeling that just like with any art form, uh, when it comes out into the world, strangely enough, certain people pick up on it. I don't know, you know, it's, it's I think that there's probably some people over in Russia or somewhere else that were doing kind of similar ideas, maybe around the time that I started doing it or shortly after that. And maybe some people have come up with it on their own. I don't know. I'm not going to take credit for the whole thing, but yeah, uh, just for what I, you know, I kind of live in my own un artistic universe and so I didn't really take any inspiration from anyone else. And I know that some people have taken inspiration from me, but then I have a feeling some people haven't and have so, sort of developed the same thing I've developed, but on their own with, with a slightly different style. Mm -hmm. And the thing about my style is it's very geared towards the hacky sack style. And so if you, ha if you did not train in traditional, you know, footbag freestyle, hacky sack freestyle, you're not going to be able to do it the way I do it because just the way I came up sort of the way that it came out was dependent upon my previous training in hacky sack. Yeah. Explain to the listeners who might not know what is hacky sack and how does one become considered to be one of the best hacky sack slash footbag players in the world. And we're, we are using the word hacky sack, even though the sport is called footbag. Um, yeah. So you want to explain to people like sort of how you got into hacky sack and like how they should, sort of view it. Well, hacky sack is a very ancient fad that was popular a century ago at this point, but uh, <laughs> you know, 1980s, 1990s, uh, it was kind of its peak. And it's a beanbag, you kick it with your feet. You know, I'm sure most people uh, over the age of 40 know what it is, but a lot of people don't know what it is anymore because it's just not as popular as it once was. It's almost, it's kind of like a dying art out there. Yeah. You know, it is a form of juggling. I see it kind of as a form of juggling, but um, it's, you know, hacky sack started by just standing around in a circle and kicking a, a beanbag around to friends, usually under the influence of some kind of substance <laughs> um, uh, at, at a uh, questionable rock and roll concert or something. But um, it actually evolved into uh, like a very technical sport in the, in the 90s and uh, early 2000s. And it's still, you know... Now it's a little bit more popular in Europe and most of the best players are not even in the United States anymore. It's really kind of uh, whittled down to a very small hardcore group. 
But uh, there are still competitions. Uh, there's tons, hundreds of tricks you can do with hacky sacks. They're all based on catching the hacky sack rather than kicking it. So the basis of hacky sack originally is just to kick it. And in the beginning, it's like, okay, how many kicks in a row can you do with a hacky sack? And so along the line, someone decided to learn how to catch it instead of kicking it. And then when, once they learn how to catch it, they realize there's all kinds of really cool technical tricks you can do. You throw it up, go around it twice with your foot, catch it again. It, it's not really, I don't want to explain all that here, but, <laughs> yeah. but no one wants to listen to that. <laughs> but so it, is, to, it, it, it is like, like 11 years old. You know, my dad gave me a hacky sack because I was a soccer player. And he's like, hey, this is going to make your soccer way better. And really, it made me quit soccer because I got obsessed with hacky sack. You know, I got, I just got obsessed with it as a kid, and and I had natural talent. I was also a skateboarder, and I had broken my arm for the third time, and I was in a, a cast, and I couldn't really use my hands. And so I, that's when I really got into it when I had my third broken arm. Because hadn't I broken my arm, I would have been a professional skateboarder. Undoubtedly, I was on that path. I was that was my passion, and I was good, but. Um, you know, sometimes strange things happen and good things come out of it. And I think that was probably, a, I think overall, you know, I don't have any regrets of not being a professional skateboarder. So, uh, you know, I went into the world of hacky sack. I became really good very quickly, won the world championships. Over the next 20 years, I won the world championships of hacky sack six times. Wow. Five times in the singles competition, once in the team competition. And then I started juggling and I got, um, in the early 90s, I got interested in juggling. Very quickly, I realized, like, I can probably do these two things at the same time because juggling was very easy for me to pick up compared to hacky sack because as obscure as as it is, it's extremely difficult. You know, it's it's like any art form. You have to really devote your life. And anyone who was really good at hacky sack completely devoted their life to it. And that's that's what I did. I was just obsessed. I would, you know, I'd play eight hours a day. or That's all I cared about as a kid was kicking his hacky sack but then once i got into juggling that kind of opened up my world a lot and i realized it was sort of what i was doing with my feet you could do with your hands in a different context and then um then i realized you know sooner or later i realized like yeah i can do these at the same time and i've never seen anyone do that i've never seen anyone juggle with their feet and their hands at the same time can i do this and so i just asked myself that question i'm like can, is this possible? Can I? Is it possible to juggle three balls with your hands and three balls with your feet at the same time? I didn't know, and so um, that became kind of my obsession. That became my my goal was to figure out if that was possible, and it, I discovered that it was, and so that kind of opened up a, my own little world of juggling. Nice. And I'm and I still that's what I still love the most about it all is is exploring that concept of juggling with the hands and the feet. It's sort of like at my age now, I can't do all the technical hacky sack stuff that I used to do in my 20s, but I can do any of that hands and feet juggling stuff. Um, my body can still do all of it. And it gets technical, but it's not uh, as hard on the body, on the on the joints and the knees. Yeah. And, you know, it's like eventually you've got to pull back on the, because of that. The, the technical hacky sack stuff is so hard on the body. It's just like brutal. Like, you know, people came and go over the years just because of injuries and um, a lot of people's knees just didn't make it. And luckily mine did, but um, you know, I played it smart and uh, I take pretty good care of myself. So I, I gracefully trans 
transitioned into an easier version. Of well, I'm and I, I, you know, it's interesting because, you know, someone who grew, grew up also going, you know, in the hacky sack footbag community, yeah, you know, you know. juggling is not sort of a foreign concept to that community. You know, you, when you go to like a hacky sack tournament, there are people juggling and passing objects. And a lot of the freestylers, you know, when they get tired, they'll, they'll juggle. And there is, there has been a, a number of professional hacky sack players who have become professional variety entertainers. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's uh, the, the concept of what the hacky sack is in the freestyle really is, is a form of juggling. You know? Yeah. It really is. And so that mindset is kind of built into those people to begin with. And so, so yeah, and that's, and that's how I really, uh, kind of got into juggling was at the hacky sack world championships i think it was in uh i remember very clearly uh in in san francisco in the early 90s maybe 1992 93 something like that um the world hacky sack championships were in san francisco and the final day was held in golden gate park in the same spot where the jugglers hung out on sunday and so all the best jugglers at the time in the early 90s in san francisco was like you know the scene was pretty good and they all showed up to the hacky sack world championships and they were juggling and uh, and i had done some juggling but that was the moment i realized like whoa okay this is actually pretty cool and uh there's way more here than i thought there was and so it's natural to kind of get into juggling through the hacky sack and how did you transition into becoming a sort of full-time variety performer integrating the juggling and the hacky sack into something that an audience can consume once i discovered that i was i can juggle that really opened up a lot of possibilities of performing you know because with a hacky sack is very limited hacky sack routines technically are like two minutes in mm. competition and it's not really something that you can build an entire show out of i mean some people have tried but uh, <laughs> they're, they're not around anymore so. I, I had to tour the country doing a 45 minute hacky sack assembly and it was painful yeah, you know man you know it's a stretch so, <laughs> so it's not exactly you know it's like if you if you're a hacky sack player and you want to be a, a performer man you gotta you gotta learn something else yeah um, I mean, people don't want to watch more than two minutes of hacky sack. Like, you know, I mean, real people in the real world don't care. So, um, well, so I, my transition was definitely like, you know, expanding my horizons and becoming a juggler and, and then, uh, learning about that world and, and variety entertainment and just, you know, learning a million other tricks besides hacky sack. And that, that was just one little piece of the puzzle. And so very rapidly, you know, right after that, uh, San Francisco thing, I moved out to San Francisco right after that and just decided that was the moment I decided like, yeah, I think I, okay, you can make a living doing this type of thing and I'm pretty good at it. And so luckily, you know, I met some people in San Francisco who were mentors who were willing to just kind of take me under their wing and kind of teach me the, um, the art of, you know, putting together a show and, and structure the structuring a show where it works and writing jokes and making it entertaining rather than just technical juggling. Cause I started as a technical juggler. Like I don't, I wasn't really a natural comedian. Uh, I just loved doing tricks. And so I kind of had to learn that other side of, you know, sit down with a notebook and learn how to write a joke and uh, learn how to structure or a bit or a routine. So it has a beginning, middle and end rather than just cranking out tricks. So yeah. that's, um, you know, the world of 
juggling really opened that up. And luckily, I uh, had a lot of great mentors. Um, Dan Holtzman, in particular, was a big mentor for me. And uh, he was just so cool. And he's like, look, if you really want to do this, come on out and uh, let's do it. So he took a lot of time with me, especially over the years, many, many, many years of working with Dan and all the local performers in San Francisco at the time, you know, Scotty Meltzer, all those guys were who are still there, but um, just world-class stuff. I was really lucky to kind of just jump yeah. in the middle of all that and soak it all in. And so that's kind of, and I just threw myself out on the street in Fisherman's Wharf in San Francisco in the early 90s, not really knowing what I was doing. Um, I was working with my partner at the time, Tim Kelly, who is still out in San Francisco at the time. He was a great hacky sack player and developed into a really phenomenal juggler as well. So uh, I started as a team act with Tim. Neither of us really knew what we were doing, but we were practicing juggling eight hours a day, and that's all we wanted to do. So we just threw ourselves out in the, in the street and uh, kind of learned as we went along. We sucked for a long time. And, <laughs> you know, that's how you do it, right? Yeah. You yeah. Really yeah. wanted it. You know, you really got to want it. And we did. That's all we cared about. And so um, that's what we did. We just well, went out. The nice thing, too, about where you are in your career is like you have a venue that you can perform at every day. You can go and suck or try new things and, you know, practice your show in front of an audience, especially with street performing. And they'll tell you real quick if you're good or not. <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and then but also being in San Francisco where you have these sort of legendary mentors, you know, Dan Holtzman, Scotty Meltzer, people who are, are huge in the variety arts community to be a resource that you can sort of ask questions to or, you know, workshop stuff with. What a great sort of opportunity for you. Oh, yeah. I was really lucky to be in the right place at the right time. And you're right. It's really all about consistent work, you know, being able to do shows every single day and just going out and doing it and especially on the street like just like you said if you if you know if you're not halfway decent on the street you're not eating that night so you know it, it was a um, inspiration to become good enough as quickly as possible yeah you know? I mean, it takes years and years to to get good but you know if you're motivated if you're young if you're broke and starving <laughs> With a little bit of talent, man, you know, and motivation, then you can get good in a month or a couple months or, yeah. you know, in six months. And especially if you have people like Holtzman around who are willing to take the time and, and work with you, then, and then, you know, that's a good recipe. I was lucky to fall into that group and into that place and, you know, start working on Pier 39 and have people around who knew what they were doing, who could critique the show, who cared, actually. Now, you mentioned like, uh, you know, you guys are practicing and when you're young, you, you're thirsty, right? You uh, yeah. you want you, you're ex it's exciting and, um, you know, it's all new. And you said you were practicing eight hours a day. Like I, you know, I've known you for a long time. And I've always admired, admired your commitment to practice. Like you practice regularly and maybe it's not even just for stuff that goes in your show. Maybe it's just to stay in shape. Uh, do you have like a particular philosophy about practice? Is there like, you know, certain things you try and accomplish when you were practicing? What like who, people who might be listening who are performers, like what do you sort of strive for when you set out to focus on your skills? Yeah. Um, well, practicing. Yeah. It's all about practice, right? You know, um, and practice could be 
a number of different things. And really, even today, even now, my life is based on practice. And it's not all about juggling practice or anything else. But, you know, it's art. It's whatever I'm into. It's, it's like, uh, it's what I do. And over the years, my philosophy of practice has changed. You know, when you're young, you practice just to, you know, just to practice because you love it. You want to be great at what you do. You want to learn, you know, the hardest tricks possible, regardless of if anyone else cares, you know, it's, it's just practicing for myself. And in many ways, it's still that. But as you get older and life happens, there's more responsibilities, there's more things to do. You know, when I was 21 years old in San Francisco, I had nothing else to do. I had no responsibilities, <laughs> man, you know, like, I'm, you know, I'm living in the hate next to Golden Gate Park. And it, at that time, it was like, well, okay, well, let's juggle or let's play chess because, you know, I was obsessed with chess at the time. But it was the same thing. It was like reading chess books and practicing you know, openings, my masters, chess masters, and like working out chess games on the board just to study. And so, I mean, that's a form of practice too. And another form of practice is just you know, learning the history of whatever you're into, you know, geeking out on all the greatest jugglers and, you know, seeing what they did and seeing, um, you know, learning about your art and just being obsessed with the subject. And so practice for me started as just, that's what my day was. I, you know, if I wasn't doing shows or even if I was doing shows, I would practice between shows, I would practice before shows, I'd practice after shows. And in your early twenties, you have an infinite amount of energy and your body can take whatever <laughs> abuse you throw at. A couple decades later, you know, it's, it's like um, the philosophy of practice has changed slightly and when it comes to juggling, the practice is more geared towards, you know, what I'm going to be performing. Mm. Or if I'm working on something new, uh, it's, it's really more geared towards the show rather than being a juggling geek. Uh, I'm not quite as much of a juggling geek as I used to be. <laughs> and I don't feel the need to push myself to the extreme limits of human potential necessarily that I did when I was in my early 20s. Yeah. However, I still hold myself to a technical standard and I still there's still things that I want to do in juggling that I haven't achieved yet. So I'm always working on stuff um, mostly for the show these days and some stuff that I just want to practice for myself that maybe I won't necessarily perform but I still like to do, it's, it's fun to do. And, um, there's still a few tricks that I'd like to challenge myself to see like, well, can I actually learn this? Yeah. Yeah. But nowadays also I, I practiced a bunch of other stuff. So it's like, you know, I'm not only practicing juggling, my life does not revolve around juggling anymore Yeah. or even the show, you know, I'm, I'm still doing shows full time. I'm out, um, doing as many shows as I can all the time. But I also have other interests, you know, and and so, you know, like you said earlier, I'm a visual artist, I'm an acupuncturist, although I'm not practicing acupuncture now. However, you know, the older I get, the more I think that that's going to be my uh, kind of my retirement plan from juggling and performing when my body is finally ready to settle down, then I'll kind of transition into doing acupuncture and I'm, I'm doing a ton of art. Um, I'm doing, I'm probably doing more visual art now than per performing art as far mm. as practice goes. You know, I go into my art studio and I can spend six hours in my art studio 
very easily producing art or just, you know, playing with stuff. And sometimes things come out of it. Sometimes pieces come out, sometimes they don't, but that's also my practice. It's just to go in and yeah. explore. So in a way it's kind of like a, it's kind of like just my own personal exploration of what I'm interested in. Are, are there elements of like visual art? Did your performing background help you in any way like with your visual arts like maybe the practice or like or vice versa the visual arts maybe opened up new thought process for your performing arts like is there any sort of bleed over that sort of complemented each other yeah in a strange way there is in the bigger picture not necessarily but I tend to do visual art in the same way that I juggle and the way that is like for example I like to combine things that maybe shouldn't be combined together. So for, for example, just combining juggling with the feet and juggling with the hands together. It's like taking two separate concepts, putting them together, seeing it if, if it works. Or, you know, like uh, balancing tricks, combining balancing tricks with juggling to, with, you know, how it is. It's like the Francis Brun stuff and like the, you take all these different elements and put them together. And that's how I do art. And um, a big part of my art uh, is collage. So I take different images from different places and see if I can combine them into something that works. And I tend to try to combine things that shouldn't work and see if I can make them work. So in, in the same way, I kind of think about performing or juggling the same way I think about visual art and that's kind of how the bleed over happens. Yeah. Like I'm not doing, I'm not down there doing art pieces of jugglers. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like juggling paintbrushes while you do it. Of Francis Brun or something. Like, no. So I think, I think a big, um, pardon the pun, ball was missed when um, you have your own branded juggling ball and it should have been a collage instead of just red panels. Oh. Yeah, and I know I should have. Yeah, but. You got your own branded juggling balls? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got the um, Flying Clipper makes my hands and feet juggling balls. Oh, nice. Work with them for many years to try to find the right consistency, weight, etc. And yeah, they're still selling them. And so I don't know how many of them there's. Maybe I got to go get some. I, I'm, I oh, live in the town that they are in. So oh, yeah, go, go, <laughs> you hey, got to pitch them on the collage ball. ball. I know I, I will. <laughs> you don't have a set of my balls, Matt. Come on. No, man, I didn't get sent oh. any. I didn't know they existed until this moment. So uh, no, I got to step it up. How, how did I know that? And you didn't. I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, okay. So how did the, the, the brand, your own ball come about? Was it you trying to find the right tool and create it? And they said, okay, cool. Or did they approach you? Yeah. Um, what I do, you know, basically I was trying to kind of create a hybrid of a hacky sack and a juggling ball, something I could kick and catch that had the right consistency and weight, but also was very juggleable, um, even if you didn't want to kick it. And so I was working with a couple guys who were just, you know, just grassroots dudes who were making juggling props. And then um, I started talking to Jim Fitzgerald, who is the owner of Flying Clipper. Flying Clipper is a, a juggling ball company, but they also make hacky sacks and they've been in the hacky sack game um, forever. They were in the hacky sack before I was. And so I've known those guys forever. And 
um, it just kind of organically happened that I started working with them because they understood what I was trying to get. You know, they understood kind of the, the prototype that I was looking for. And so uh, Jim Fitzgerald, who the owner of Flying Clipper, was really cool and really enthusiastic. I think he was even more enthusiastic than I was about making the right ball. And so once we finally came up with something that I liked, he just decided to sell them, you know. Um, I didn't ask him to. I didn't say, hey, uh, let's put my ball on the market. <laughs> you get a residual for using your name? I, no, no. I don't, but, I, you know, I got free lifetime of, of juggling props. Oh, there you go. Yeah. You know. Do I get a discount if I drop your name? If I'm like, yeah, I know we just interviewed Peter Ash. Did I get like 10% off? Yeah, I could get you 10% off. All right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> you drop a code at the end of this podcast episode. <laughs> all right, yes. Type Peter up into the box. The whopping 10% discount. Yeah, that's what I got for you, Matt. <laughs> now, you how to be in like 30 years? I get you 10%. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, how do people respond when you tell them that you're a six-time World Hacky Sack champion or that you're in the Hacky Sack Hall of Fame? How do people respond when you tell them, or do you just not tell them that? Uh, <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> you mean like at a party or? <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. You know, yeah just, I, well, I'm just at a party. Right, we'll do the party, like, and then we'll do the bank. All right, well, at a party, that's not something I'm advertising at a party. You know? I'm not. <laughs> I don't roll into the party and whip out a hacky sack and be like, hey, dude, you, you know, you got your your five medals on your, your chest. Yeah, yeah I'm going to roll into the party with like, like Matt. flavor flavor with like the he's you know, a my six hacky time sack medals around my neck. <laughs> no, dude, I don't do that. If the subject comes around, you know, I don't advertise it, but sometimes it comes up and people actually, you know, people are seem interested in that. It's like, yeah, I've lived a pretty unconventional life, you know, and so and for the record, I would I would say I'm a professional juggler before I'd say I'm a professional <laughs> hacky sack. Player. I mean, believe it or not, that holds more weight, in the, you know, <laughs> as far as opening an interesting conversation. You know, a lot of people say well, hacky sack, like, you know, what the hell is that? Everyone even knows what that is anymore. So. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, for a man my age, to, you know, that's kind of embarrassing to like, you know. Oh, I know, man. Like, I'm still doing college shows and I still do Hacky Sack in my show. And people are like, what is, uh, what is that? Why is a guy with gray hair? Yeah, it? yeah it's like a different era, you know. It's yeah. like, I'm not going to say it's dead or anything, but it's it's like, uh, it's not, it's not in the mainstream of people's yeah. mind these days. And, yeah. But juggling, at least people are a little bit more, they can relate slightly more. It's the you know, some, you know, you always meet people who can juggle three balls and yeah. everyone's seen juggling. That doesn't mean they like it, but at least they know what it is. And so yeah. I would more talk about my juggling career rather than my hacky sack career because it's, you know, those two things are pretty, pretty equal as far as how much time I've put in and, mm. and that type of thing. Yeah. But, you know, it, it always makes for good conversations. You guys know we live weird lives and, people who don't have those lives really are, are interested and they want to hear about it, you know, your adventures around the world and what you do and how you make a living. It's like, wow, that's what you do for a living. Like most people find that interesting. So um, it does make for good, good conversations, but I don't really, you know, go around <laughs> advertising it as a way to, you know, and you have, you've toured, you've toured all around the world. Like one thing that came up a couple times when I was looking you up was um, the, you were like the first performer in the South Pacific and you did like a Samoan tour, I believe. Yeah. I was the first American to do circus arts in the South Pacific in history, strangely enough. 
I was with the what is like the Samoan National Circus, and that's uh, we could do a podcast on that little. <laughs> and I'm gonna probably write a book about that someday. That was a crazy. That was one of the more crazy uh, gigs I got in my career. But yeah, yeah, I worked in South Pacific for a little while with those guys uh, before I got kicked out. Did they make you learn some Samoan dances or uh, no, 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 eat no, breadfruit? No, no. <laughs> I was, you know, I was like the special American guest, so they didn't make me haul around bleachers and build circus tents, which the Samoan guys were doing, like they did everything. Yeah. That was fascinating. You know, there's like 35 Samoan dudes. And then there was other acts from around the world. You know, there was um, the trapeze artists from, from Brazil, the Chinese acrobats, et cetera, et cetera. And so, um, very cool gig, but like really, really hard gig. You know, you're sleeping, I was sleeping in, in a little tent in a parking lot, you know, eating canned beans and, and you know, I mean, it was rough. It Living wasn't life. Anything, but getting paid absolutely nothing, you yeah. know, but, but you know, that you can't get much richer life experience than that right. working in Samoan circus. And it was, you know, traditional big top circus. They made the tent, they painted the signs, they did everything by hand, like the whole crew did it all. They cooked the food. So it was interesting. It was very much, I, I got a window into something that is very rare these days. You know, they, nobody does it like that anymore. Yeah. Probably, you know, and it kind of harkens back to the, the beginning of the circus. That was sort of like the lifestyle that I got to, to lead for a little while. I wouldn't want to do that for too long but um yeah i got a taste of that so yeah you know we've all been around the world <laughs> the Samoan, the Samoan <laughs> circus gig was, was one of the more interesting ones i would say i read that you were adam sandler's stunt double yeah yeah i did a movie with adam sandler called you don't mess with the zohan ah uh, yeah his most absolutely most popular <laughs> adam sandler <laughs> If you've heard of Adam Sandler, you must have heard You Don't Mess With the Zohan. Like, it was a good movie, but it doesn't hold up so well. No, no, man. It didn't hold it up on the drive home. It was not a good movie. Like, you know, really? You think that was a good movie? I went in with very low expectations because I believe you told me it sucked. And so <laughs> I think when Sorry, I watched it, I was like, oh, it's a, it's a little bit better than I thought it was going to be. It sucked. Oh, Sorry, yeah. There's Adam. a footbag scene in that, right? Yeah. yeah. Hockey sacks all over that movie. And so that's, you know, that's why. I worked with Adam on that. I was this stunt double and Adam was a cool guy. Yeah. He's a cool guy to work for and, or work with. I didn't really work for him. But, and the um, director was Robert Schmeagel, right? Yeah. Yeah. So Schmeagel was around. There was a bunch of cool people hanging around the set. I forget who they were, but they were cool at the time. And, and um, if the listeners don't know who Robert Schmeagel is, he's the guy who does uh, the puppet dog comic, the insult dog. Yeah. The insult dog. Yeah. yeah. Did some stuff on Saturday night live or something. He was yeah. a writer. What, yeah, what, yeah, it was a cool, cool group of people to hang around. Adam, Adam surrounds himself with cool people, and um, everyone's you know super nice. And so, was your yeah. role simply as a stunt, or you also like were like almost like the choreographer for the hacky sack scenes? Well, it was both. I I was his stunt double, so they dressed me up just like him. And in the movie, there was a very specific look that he had going with the beard and all this stuff. And then they had me just kind of doing, kind of choreographing some of the hacky sack stuff. Most of the stuff didn't make it in the movie. I think like, you know, you, maybe my foot made it in the movie for like two seconds or something. Like really a lot, a lot of what I did didn't end up in the movie. 
just a little bit of it, but they had me there and they, I did what I do and they used some of it and some of it they didn't. So, so, but it was a cool, it was cool. Now, I do Adam in a while. I got to call him. <laughs> Oh, dude, don't mess with the Zohan too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's, That's what you gotta set get. That up. <laughs> let's set that up, man. The, I can tell you a funny story about that, uh, but uh, this is a PG thirteen podcast, so I don't know if we really want. to Yeah, give it a shot. Give it a shot. So uh, the one thing that when when they when they were dressing me up, they they like the one thing that Adam wanted out of this was like uh, they they padded him. If you know what I'm saying, like, like his groin area, like his yeah, crotch, they stuffed the groin, right? Yeah, they stuffed the groin to make his package look big. Yeah, his package looked big, and so they had to do that to me as the stunt double, you know. And so, so I remember the first first minute I walked out onto the set and looking exactly like Adam, right? Mm -hmm. Except I'm a little bit, I'm a little leaner than Adam, you know. And at the time. Adam was really like into into fitness. Uh, I think that he, that's probably gone by the wayside at this point. But like at the time, he was like really into working out and stuff. And uh, I rolled up to the set. We said hello, and he looked me up and down, and he's like, "Damn, you're in better shape than I am." And I looked at him, and I'm like, "Yeah," and I've got a big. <laughs> <laughs> Because my, I think my padding was a little bit bigger than his. So. <laughs> that was my first interaction with Adam Sandler. <laughs> Did it at least get a laugh? You took a risk. You took a risk. You don't know how it's gonna go. Did he oh, laugh? Not, uh, yeah, you know. Okay. The first meeting with Adam Sandler, you gotta make a an impression, right? You know, so I just threw it out on, threw threw it threw my pad out on the table, right? And, <laughs> One of my favorite stories about you is that you and I were in Seattle and we were like driving somewhere and we were at a red light and uh, in the car next to us is the lead singer of Blues Traveler, John Popper. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, there's John Popper, the lead singer of Blues Traveler. And you're like, roll down the window. I want to say something to him. And I'm like, all right. So I roll down the window. He's like, hey, and you could say, hey, John. It's me, Peter Irish. I performed with you at this, and he totally knew who you were. Yeah, I know. I know those guys. Yeah, I had, had like this long conversation that I'm just sitting in the middle of. Yeah, and they're like, it's like blues traveler in the van next to them, yeah. like smoking weed and stuff. I remember that, and and and, uh, and I think they even invited us out to party, but we had we had our own little party to go to or something. Yes. So we how had something else going on, or we were doing the. Maybe it was the Seattle Juggling Footbag Festival or something. We had like a show to do on our own. So we couldn't go hang out with Blues Traveler. But yeah, yeah, it's kind of funny, the random things. Because, I, yeah, I knew those guys. I performed on stage with Blues Traveler. and um, But that was a long time ago. It was like the early 90s. Well, man. what I was impressed by is that they remembered you. And that, oh, yeah, like, yeah. You know? And I'm hard to forget, Matt. <laughs> well, I also think those guys are into variety stuff, too, though. They seemed pretty cool. Yeah, they seemed into it. You know, um, I think they had they knew all, all kinds of people in in the variety arts world. Yeah. When I was playing with them, they're like, "Oh yeah, we knew the frisbee champion and this and that." They knew all these people. Oh, that's so, cool. Okay, well, that's cool. These guys were, were cool. But it's very funny that randomly, that moment we looked over and it's like, "Yeah, John Popper right there." <laughs> and so, I think not long after that, John Popper got pulled over, and his car got searched and he had like he had like a hundred like i don't know what he had a bunch of guns in his yeah car. guns yeah, <laughs> and yeah. He had like a 
Yeah, he's like, I don't know, man. I didn't expect that out of John. I didn't, you know, <laughs> never got that from him hanging out with John Popper. This is kind of funny. Shortly after that, John Popper gets pulled over and he had like AKs in his in the back. Of his <laughs> he's, got, he's got his own militia. Whoa, dude. militia. <laughs> in your bio that I read, it didn't say that you were a Guinness World Record holder, but I specifically remember breaking a Guinness World Record with you. Is that is that no longer or? Oh, man. Yeah, you know, I've got some world records, but I don't know if they're... Yeah, the Guinness thing is, is a gray area. It doesn't seem like it's super gray. <laughs> well, it's not that gray because I like, technically I don't have any Guinness world okay. records, but I've broken a bunch. Like, I swear know. that like it, we did a show together in Idaho and we did like I did one and then you did one and we both yeah. broke our own records. So that's why it was weird. I didn't see it in the bio. Yeah, no, no, no. I don't really like technically I can't claim Guinness World Records because I'm not I don't know. I had I haven't done the paperwork, I guess you could say. Yeah, but gotcha. I, I did. I you know, I applied for a bunch of Guinness World Records. I set them and then I just never sent in the video yeah right i got like 10 guinness world records but none of them are official none are verified but thank you for reminding me because all i have to really have to i'd probably have to re really reapply for all that stuff it's been a while i would imagine you could still use the video that was taken because i used the video from that show to, to to get a guinness world record yeah so. yeah Whatever the record was, I'm sure I could beat it now. Yeah. Know? So, uh, you know, and that's something that I probably should do before this is all said and done. I should really just like make a few of those world records official because I do. I have, I can break a ton of Guinness World Records. I just I haven't really gotten around. <laughs> break so many. I don't like paperwork. I don't like paperwork. <laughs> well, that's the one thing preventing you from getting a Guinness record. Peter has the Guinness World Record for most uh, unverified Guinness. Yes, there you, there you go. There you go. That's a good idea, Louis. Maybe I'll pick you up on that. <laughs> so we're recording this before you come for your first time to the Moisture Festival, and this should be getting released right before the 2023 moisture festival that you're appearing in for the first time how did you come about knowing about the moisture festival and sort of what are what do you how do you envision the moisture festival in your mind well you know i've known about the moisture festival forever and you know anyone who's anyone has done the moisture festival and it's always kind of been in the back of my mind as something to do you know i love seattle i used to come out to seattle and see you guys and um but now i don't really have any friends in the city so i don't really come there much and for some reason, um, I never really, I'm not sure why I never did it before now, you know, I don't know. Um, but I, and honestly, I don't really know what to expect because uh, I've never been there, I've never done it, but I've just heard great things. And um, well, I'm just expecting to, to, to come and do as much performing as I can. I'm expecting a really fun time. Um, a lot of the people who have done it just have nothing but great things to say about it. And one of the, the main things is, you know, meeting other performers and and kind of the hang and, and the, the the scene of just, you know, making new friends and uh, meeting new people. That's really what I expect out of it. I expect just to have some fun, do some shows. Uh, I'm looking forward to it and uh, just kind of, you know, coming with an open mind. Though the way I, I got hooked up with it this year was uh, my friend, the zip code man. You oh, know, yeah. Code man. Oh, yeah. 
David Rosdiker, I think, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but he's a good buddy of mine. We work a lot on Pearl Street Mall together, street performing. I've known him for a long, long time. Very, very interesting dude who you guys might want to um, do an interview with him someday. Yeah, I've yeah. chatted with him backstage a couple very times. Very fascinating guy, man. That's like one of the most unique humans on the planet right there. But uh, David suggested me for this, this year. So he, I think he ended up, and I know he's done Moisture Festival before. Yeah. And we were out on the pitch on Pearl Street Mall and he's like, hey, I'm doing Moisture Festival this year. And they asked me, you know, if I knew anyone who would be, you know, good for a good fit. And I recommended you. So David kind of threw my name out there this year. I think that's how it started. And then uh, he kind of got that in the back of my mind. I thought, yeah, why don't I do it this year? Especially now, right now, it's kind of like a, a kind of a little slower point in the year for shows it's like we're starting to gear up towards the season and got a little extra free time and so um it just worked out perfectly like this year um is a really good year for me to do it and um you know david threw my name out there to begin with so so um yeah it just came together really nicely this year i'm not sure why it didn't come together in the past or whatever but i'm i'm thrilled to be a part of it this year yeah and i'm excited to uh see a hacky sack world champion on the Broadway Performance Hall stage. And you've actually, you might not remember this, you have done a show on the stage that the Moisture Festival is at this year. So I do remember. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I've been on Broadway um, Performance Theater stage. I remember it being a really nice stage. I don't remember exactly the stage, but I do. I do remember um, being out there performing on that stage. And I re remember thinking it was a cool spot. So uh, yeah, I'm excited to be back, man. The last time I was on that stage was probably 15 <laughs> years ago or something. <laughs> We're excited. Excited for the return. The return. Yeah, man, it's long overdue. So. <laughs> I'm rock that stage this year. Now I got a couple, couple more before we go. Um, sure, I read, I read about you have taken on a playing a flute that I, a type of flute that I had never heard of. And tell me how I pronounce it. Shaka Kuchi. Shakuhachi flute. Yeah. You really want to talk about that? <laughs> What's the other question, Matt? What's the other question? <laughs> flute. No, uh, very quickly, I'll just address that because uh, I've always been like, you know, music is my favorite thing. And um, I was a musician when I was a kid. I used to play a lot of guitar and I kind of just quit doing music to, to be a juggler, you know, because it's like, I'm one of those guys where it's like, I'm all in. It's like, I don't want to spread myself too thin. I want to master what I'm what I'm doing, and so uh, I quit playing guitar at a relatively young age. I was a pretty decent guitar player. I was in some bands, and I could have easily been a musician, but I just ended up being a different type of performer. But uh, since maybe like six years ago now, I I don't know, man. I can't even explain my obsession with this stupid bamboo flute. I just. I remember seeing this flute and the strange thing is I bought one of these flutes like 25 years ago and I don't even know why I bought it and I tried to play it and I could not play it and I just dropped it in a box and it sat in a box for like 20 years and then I was in Portland, Oregon maybe six years ago out at that outdoor market and I'm walking around and I saw one of these flutes. I was immediately strangely attracted to it. And I walked up to the guy and I was like, hey, is that a shakuhachi flute? And he's like, yeah, it is. And he takes it down from his stand and he puts it in my hands. I'm like, no, I can't play this. Like I tried 20 years ago. I couldn't even make a sound. And he's like, oh no, you can do it. So he puts it in my hands in the right angle of my 
on my mouth and in the right fingering. And he teaches me how to blow and I blow and I make the sound. And so this is one of those moments where like 20 years later, I'm able to make a sound <laughs> on this thing. And immediately I just like, I'm like, okay, I've got to buy this flute. And so I, bought, I bought another flute from this guy, but I can't really explain why I'm attracted to this instrument. I really like the sound of it. And it's the, um, the background to the shakuhachi flute. It's a Japanese flute. It was originally played by samurai. After the samurai had their swords taken away, they started playing these flutes and they used them as, um, they would just beat people up with them, you know, like they didn't have <laughs> They would use they would people's ass with these flutes. So I thought that was kind of cool. And then the Zen, Zen monks, uh, there was like a whole sect of Zen Buddhist monks called the Kamuso uh, who played these flutes and that was like their version of meditation. And so, um, and you know, in my background, I'm really, uh, I love Buddhism. I'm not a Buddhist, but I really love the philosophy of Zen. Uh, I've been doing meditation for decades. And so um, that kind of, that aesthetic really kind of um, appeals to me. And the sound of this flute is very, it's, it's beautiful and it sounds like nature. And it's a very, very difficult instrument to play. It's not just like, oh, let me just going to blow on this flute and make a few notes. It's like, just to make a sound takes a lot of work. You know, you have to have the right embouchure in your, your lips and you've got to have the right pitch. And it's just stupid amounts of work for very little payback. <laughs> but um, and it's all abdominal breathing. And so it's like nice. breathing, breathing exercises and meditation and all this stuff. And so it's just kind of become a cool hobby for me. It's like, I don't play it in public. And technically a lot, like in certain schools of the Shakuhachi, like, you're not really supposed to play in, in public until you get like a master's degree, which takes like 10 to 15 years. And, and so, so you kill four people, people with a flute. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's just like a, one of my many um, hobbies these days. Like I like to play this flute, but I'm not going to perform it. But I, I do take lessons from a master and I, can, I read Japanese music. And so strangely enough, like I can, I read the music and I don't even know how I was able, you know, it all just kind of came natural to me. It, it didn't, it wasn't hard for me to learn. It's all in Japanese. I don't speak Japanese, but I can look at these long, complicated, um, you know, uh, sheet music and I can just read it and play it. I mean, uh. I've, I've worked at it to do it, but it just came natural to me. So it's just one of my hobbies, you know, it's not like, uh, it's not in my show or anything. I'm not gonna be performing it or anything, but yeah. Well, but, it sounds like you'll bring shame on your family if you do perform it in your show. Yeah. I, well, I'm not really allowed to perform it for you know, 20, 15 years, and so I wouldn't dare. But uh, I think it's sort of like, you know, I always I love music, and in a way, I've always been a musician. So it's kind of like coming back to that for me. And I, That's nice. Strangely enough, I didn't pick up the guitar again. But uh, it's, it's very obscure, and I really like weird, obscure stuff. Like, the more obscure, the better for me. So I think that's another thing that appealed to me about this thing. It's like very few people play it, especially in the United States. It's very hard to do. It's very esoteric. Uh, and I love all that kind of stuff. So, it, you know, it's right up my alley. But, yeah, it's just another hobby. And I've got a lot of hobbies these days. <laughs> you know, I, don't really, you know, uh, I don't juggle it strictly eight hours a day anymore. But Yeah. You know. 
Well, man, we appreciate you joining us. If people want to find out about you, they can find you at footjuggling.com. Um, I, yeah, I believe you have a Facebook page for your show. Uh, yeah. And then also you have an Instagram and a website for your visual art. And what is that? Yeah, my visual art. My Instagram is uh, based around my visual art. However, once in a while, I'll throw some juggling stuff up there. It's the house of normal. That is my, and strangely, and I, I had a dream that my, my art studio, I had an art studio called the house of normal. I don't know. And so that's, yeah, that's my art studio. I, it was came from my dream. So nice. Um, so that's my Instagram, the house of normal, my website, my visual art website is secondtriangle.com. Okay. But, uh, I'm not even going to explain that reference. Well, if people, you know, they want to check out more of your stuff, go to those and, yeah, check uh, that out. Check my Instagrams. Like, uh, I'm putting new art up mostly every day. I'm still I'm doing a ton of art, and I'm kind of gearing up to, to. I've got enough work for a gallery show, and so I just got to organize it. It's awesome. And, uh, yeah. So, so uh, my art, my art career is pretty thriving, and um, and I'm you know I'm still I still practice juggling. I'm still doing shows all the time. So I haven't really slowed down on that. Besides COVID, of course was maybe like there was like a two year most of us took a few years off during covid and that was like the only time i've taken off of shows since the early 90s but um luckily you know we're back in full swing yeah man performing a lot i'm, I'm really excited to come to seattle for the moisture Festival. yeah and what what one cool thing about the moisture festival is that you get to work with people that you've watched for years yeah you know yeah, and you're yeah. in an ensemble show that you know of a group of people that would not be together any other time. And it's so much talent in one place. It's pretty cool. You know, even for me, like I came up in the hacky sack world and I had VHS cassette tapes of like the best hacky sack players in the world. And I used to watch you and all these other people and I would idolize. And then you become friends with these people over the years because the communities are so small. And it's so, you know, you get an sure. opportunity to like meet new friends at the Moisture Festival, you know, connect, rub elbows and ask questions of people that you've watched for years and yeah. be in the same show. And so I'm glad, I'm glad you're coming, man. It's going to be awesome. Love a blast. Yeah, I'm excited. Those are, those are the reasons that I'm so excited. I mean, I always love to perform for, for people, but it's really about meeting, meeting some legends and, uh, you know, getting, getting some new friends and, yeah. some, you know, hanging out with some really cool people. So cool, man. Well, Pete, we, uh, we appreciate you taking the time to, uh, to chat with us, man. We're going to put this out and, uh, go see him. This is a very unique art form. You're going to see hacky yep, second juggling out, together. Yeah, I'm going to do some juggling for you guys. You've never seen before. Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you things that still nobody else in the world does. And so, um, yeah, thanks for having me. You guys. You're like the yeah, juggling man. version of the guy who invented the Reese's peanut butter cup. You're like, I didn't know yeah. these go together, but yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, All, right. Man. All right, thanks, Pete. All right, thanks, guys.
That's it for today, folks. Want to thank you so much for listening. If you want to check out more information like who's performing, how to volunteer, how to contribute, be sure to go to the Moisture Festival website, which is moisturefestival.org. If you like this podcast, you can check out the podcast that Matt and I do called the Odd and Off Beat Podcast. Yeah. You can get on all of the podcast places, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, and where we talk about weird news stories of the day. It's a good time. Yeah. If you like this podcast, you will love that because it is all things weird. <laughs> <laughs> and that has links to my personal page and Louis Fox's personal page if you want to follow what we do individually. So we want to thank all of the performers, donors, sponsors, volunteers who put Put on the Moisture Festival. It really takes a village to make this thing happen. Absolutely. We want to thank you for listening, and we want to thank you in advance for coming out to the Moisture Festival. So be sure to check out the Moisture Festival site. They also have a Facebook page, an Instagram page, and a YouTube page to see how you can get involved and be a part of this year's or next year's Moisture Festival. We want to thank you so much for listening to today's podcast, and we hope to see you soon. See you later. Thank you for listening to Moisture Festival Podcast and stay moist.